And good morning, everybody. We even have the scent from the trees. A lot of the cut wood is next door, and it's just pouring in here. I hope you enjoy it. I really do. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Well, I trust you've had a good time of worship and uh, listening to the words and what God has to say to us this morning. It is always really exciting. Um, firstly, let me apologize to you. I've had just one of those weeks uh, this week, so I don't have, I didn't get anything to the AV guys, so I don't have the scriptures up, so you can either follow them on whatever form you use for reading these days, or I'll read them to you depending on your learning style. Okay, so uh, whatever, whatever works for you, uh, that is fine. Uh, I'm talking about spiritual gifts, but uh, one of the uh, things, and we still are in the discipleship series, by the way, as well, but one of the things that I want to look at, because we've done quite a bit of work, great to see all the hands up, that everybody that's been there this week, been really exciting um, this week to just see all of that happening. Thank you, Jesse and Angie, because she had to put up with her husband being away four nights of the week for producing all of that. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? Really been good. Yeah, great. Thank you. One of the sadder conversations that I hear a little bit uh, these days is, do you remember when in regard to spiritual gifts when people were talking about how they used to be constantly expressed and what's happened as a result. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's not true. My hope would be that they've become so commonplace in our lives that we don't even notice them anymore. So that could be what it is, and I'll leave you to think about all of that. But um, the more that I get to understand what it is that God's called us to on this journey the more I realize that his power is essential for every part of our lives, not just in a ministry sense, so-called, or a church sense or whatever, and everything, even in putting out the trash and everything else that, that comes with that. We need God's power. We need to do something different than what our neighbors and so many other good people are doing and it is as we understand the power God's given to all of us, because everybody has been given spiritual gifts, the word of God promises that. As we understand that and how they work together, not only will it strengthen and empower us, but what I want to talk about this morning is how, as we bring them together, it strengthens and empowers us as a community, which is just so important. So what I want to do is firstly start off by putting some of this into a right perspective, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I think sometimes there is a slight change of thinking that some of us need to understand. So we start here, spiritual gifts, and there's a lot in Paul's letters, particularly 1 and 2 Corinthians, if you want to be reading through them, and in Romans, you'll find a lot, and you know there are in other parts of Scripture. But spiritual gifts are given to us by way of God's divine grace. We didn't earn them. God didn't say, you're a clever boy or a clever girl, you have now earned this or you have now earned that. Right at our time of birth, Ephesians 2.10, even before that, God determined a certain amount of spiritual gifts that each one of us would have. 
So they've been gained through grace, not efforts. Now, we can do things, and we'll be talking to you a lot more about this later on. We can do things to develop the gifts, to mature the gifts, to sharpen the gifts, to have the gifts work. They're like uh, any exercise. The more you use them, the better you get at them. But they are not something to elevate us personally. They're expressions of the Holy Spirit. They're gifts of grace, and they have been made to empower us in God's work. So we are never to make heroes of people who are able to use various forms of gifts well. The hero is the Holy Spirit. Paul says, let no man glory in man. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's important that... We understand that. So the manifestation and expression of these gifts do allow us to do some remarkable things, some phenomenal things, because they're outside of the natural realm in many ways. And like many of you, I've been on this journey for a long time. I have stood in awe in some of the things that I have seen happen as the gifts have been operating. And some of the whole thing around change lives and change circumstances happening just instantly. We have seen some incredible healings, bondages broken. I can remember ministering overseas to a woman who was tied up in such terrible bondages. And we uh, went away that night, woke up the next morning, we were at breakfast and we'd been um, ministering and working with these people for several days, and I saw this woman I didn't recognize. She was in her mid-40s. And I asked my wife, who's that? And my wife said, that's who we were ministering to last night. You couldn't recognize. The change in her countenance was nothing short of phenomenal, as so many of the demonic trappings and strongholds had been broken off her life. And so uh, it brings some amazing insight and wisdom and understanding and prophetic words, some of which we've enjoyed this morning as God endeavors to speak to us. So my constant cry always, and I hope it's yours as well, that whatever we see, we cry out, God, more, more. We want more because the scriptures tell us they are in endless supply. They don't run out. They can only get stronger. And so we cry out, Lord, let's just have more of this. But along with that, and there's a lot in Scripture about this too, so it's worth mentioning. Along with that, there are excesses as well. The enemy gets in and wants to get in because it's too powerful for him to leave this untested. And because he can't create, he's forced to get into something and corrupt it. That's all he can do. So I have seen people often given a prophetic word when all they needed was a hug. I've seen it when demons are seen for every single problem that we have in life. I've seen mercy being extended when discipline was required. And the saddest of all, for me anyway, is I have watched some folks moving mightily in the gifts while all the time they were in some form of major sin. To me, that's tragic. It really is tragic. But we must understand in all of this, God tells us not to despise the gifts. 
He wants the gifts to flow. And if some of them are not from him, and if some of them are wrong, he's asking us to use discernment, to use his word, and to judge the gifts, and whenever necessary, bring correction. But don't shut them down. It's too easy to do that. Then everybody is frightened to move and to minister. One of the other things, and this is in 1 Corinthians 14, 32, Paul tells us that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So what this is telling us is that any expression of the gifts that you and I and anyone around us make, it is never, and I want to make this point, it is never the Holy Spirit taking over our body or our lips or our mouth. He doesn't do that in the new covenant. It's so important. I have had so many people say, oh, well, that wasn't me. It was the Lord. So I can't help telling this joke. It's probably the thousandth time you've heard it. Well, it's not a joke. It's a very true story. My wonderful friend Dudley Hall <clears throat> was in a meeting and this woman broke forth in the spirit playing the violin in the time of worship. And it was stunning. And the spirit of God was just all over the place. And it released a wonderful time of worship and sense of worship in the congregation. So he went over to her at the end of the meeting and he said to her, look, that was just fantastic. And she said, oh, no, Pastor Hall. That wasn't me. That was the Lord. And he said, no, it wasn't that good. It was very, very good. And it was inspired, but the Lord would have done it better. So it just brings everything back into perspective of where all of this goes. So... We can never say, that wasn't me, that was God. We helped him. It was the farmer was looking out at all his life's work. He had bought this place in such a mess, and he'd broken it in and built the fences and plowed the fields and everything. So uh, one of his wonderful Christian friends came along and looked out the window and said, what a magnificent place God has given you. Look at all, look, everything that's out there. And the farmer says, yeah, but you should have seen it when God just had it on his own. <clears throat> now, of course we know God could have done it all at the speaking of his word like that. Of course we know that. But God wants to work with us, and he does inspire us, and then he gets us to cooperate with him. But here's what we need to understand. Any prophetic word, any word of knowledge, any expression of any of the gifts will only be a partial expression of God's heart. We never get the whole thing because God is limited and has limited himself to speaking through our being. So the words of the prophet are subject to the prophet. So if God puts something on my heart, I have to get it into my head and express it the best way I can. And I think sometimes I have preached some good messages, but they've never been as good as the stuff Jesus preached. But don't worry, nobody's ever reached that standard, and so I don't feel condemned by it. 
See, it'll only be a partial expression. It'll be wrapped up and limited by our own perception. It will never be a full expression or a complete revelation of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't disempower it. It just means that we need to weigh it up carefully, and we say, yeah, I can hear the Holy Spirit in that. Yes, God is saying something in that. That is quite incredible, but it is subject, it's got to be subject to the discernment of those around us, because sometimes we start off good, then go too far, or sometimes we get all mixed up, or whatever, but it's okay. The Lord's Word is in the midst of it. It's just that it's not a perfect expression. It used to be commonplace for those who moved a lot in prophecy. You ask, say to them, oh, I like that prophecy last week. And they say, well, I can't even remember what it was because it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. No, it wasn't that good. It was a good word, but it wasn't that good. God is inspiring us to speak through our whole being. So this should produce caution and humility, and this is the point that I'm trying to make, but not fear. God wants the gifts to operate despite our limitations, but also, and hear this, because of our limitations. We have limitations without his Holy Spirit working through us. So we've covered all of this, but the gifts of God are irrevocable. So whatever God gifts anybody, he never calls them back. People can stop walking with the Lord and still have a gift of mercy, still have a gift of prophecy or discernment, still be able to teach. God never draws them back. And that's why Jesus says to us, do not judge people's righteousness or their ability, or their maturity in God by their gifts. Judge them by what? Their fruits. See how much of Christ has been incarnated in every, any individual's life and judge them by that and that alone. So it's important that we understand that. So let's go to his word. I'm going to pick up a couple of scriptures here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 to 3 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Everybody is being led. A couple of weeks ago, we said everybody is in the process of transformation. Everybody is being led. And as Bob Dylan sang his song, everybody has to serve someone. Everybody is. Therefore, I made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what Paul is ministering here to the Corinthians is the fact that they were very well aware of spiritual activity and were very involved in it when Paul first came preaching the gospel. They were living in a very spiritual world and a very spiritual realm. And so these people have been converted from paganism, from using the demonic and those powers into the Christian walk. And so Paul starts emphasizing that the gifts he's talking about and the gifts he's praying for and imparting to those people belong exclusively to the Lord and to the Christian walk. 
And this is why he makes in this passage such an early mention of the Holy Spirit. He's saying we cannot express these gifts in the way God's called us to and get the result God is looking for unless we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. I want to encourage you in times to come, if you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, be seeking God for it every day. Because until we get that power from on high, we are very limited in what we can do. Paul also warns that there will be warfare. The minute Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the River Jordan, where did the Holy Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness, into a confrontation with Satan. So the minute we move into that spiritual realm, we're in a realm of warfare. Any expression at all of the gifts is going to be opposed. The enemy will oppose them because they're too powerful. They change lives. They change matter. They change the material world around us. They are too powerful. So he will um, not leave them unchallenged. Should we, we be frightened of this? No. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We just need to be aware of it. We did a wonderful series earlier on this year on the armor of God. If you're going to be moving in your spiritual gifts and areas, you really need to be working on knowing how what the armor of God is and how to wear it. It's important. Okay, we're moving on. Unity and diversity, which is a key point where I want to come to. Um, Verses four to six, Storm One Corinthians twelve. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So by attributing everything to the one, which is the Holy Spirit, what Paul is stressing is though we're all different, we are all in unity together about the same cause. Now, many of you would have found how different you were in the last week uh, going to the nights that Jesse was running and you all finish up in four groups or different groups because we're all so different. Now, I trust you've realized there's no right or wrong. We're just different by God's design and the reason why we are different is that is absolutely necessary for us to harmonize as a community and produce what God wants. I I want to push this point. The reason why we're different is not some of us are better or greater or some are right or some are wrong. Many, many Christians beat themselves up when they discover that they're low in hospitality or mercy, or serving. Now, if you're low in hospitality, you can say, well, I've just got to start inviting more people into my home. Well, that's a good thing to do. That's great. But you're not going to enjoy it as much as somebody who's high in hospitality, and that's all there is to it. You're just not. If your children are sitting around the table and they knock the salt over and start to weep and cry... One of you might say, it's all right, darling, it's only some salt. Somebody else might say, well, if you hadn't moved it earlier on, you wouldn't have knocked it over. Now, is the last person cruel? No, they're just prophetic. (laughs) 
They're evaluating a situation and they're putting the solution in immediately. Sure, sometimes those people may need to be a little more tactful. Sometimes they may say, is this the right time to say that? But they're never going to think first, oh, it's all right, darling, because they're annoyed. That's not wrong. It's your DNA. Sure, you can turn it into sin in the way that you express it, but so can the mercy people sometimes, when because it's the fifth time and we're starting to roll, run out of salt now, somebody needs to say, shift the thing, and it won't happen. See, it has to work together. So stop beating up on yourself. Just realize um, what is going on here. So Paul is stressing unity in diversity. He's saying all these things belong to God and they must be working differently together for God to achieve what he needs to achieve amongst us as a congregation because God has all these things in his own being, but we don't. We only have some of them. And it's only where two or three are gathered together that their Christ is in their mix because now we have all of these other things functioning. I can't help being a middle-aged white European male. Now, I try and get in touch with my female side sometimes, but it's very hard for me because I am a white European male. All that means is I need other people who are not around me to get a full picture of the character of Christ and how he functions. So if you have a different culture than I do, those cultures, our different cultures, are not made to become one per se. They're made to harmonize together in their unity and create something beautiful that God is doing in our midst. Amen? We need to hear that. Yesterday, some of us had the absolute joy at being at Chris and Shannon's wedding. Wow, I mean, what a chance to take in Wellington in November to put on an outdoor wedding at Staglands. <laughs> some of you are high in faith. That's what it took to get there. I uh, wasn't quite at that level. So I spent the whole week in prayer. So maybe that says something else about that. We go up there yesterday and what a magnificent day that we all had. But what I enjoyed most about yesterday was watching the gifts function. Now, poor old Peter. Well, I shouldn't say poor old Peter because he loved it. Peter did a great job. His first wedding, by the way, magnificent job, Peter. Just fantastic. We're really well done. He's up the front, front with a spotlight on him. That's never an easy thing to do. I've done a few weddings. I know what it's like. But as the day unfolds, there's people serving. There's people singing. There's people encouraging. The lovers are bounding because this beautiful young couple are being married. There were all the gifts functioning. Now, if everybody was just prophetic, or if everybody, we couldn't have had that wedding yesterday. It took a community of people with a diversity of gifts to put on that most 
magnificent day. And God comes right in the middle and harmonizes it with the weather, with the setting, with the view that we have around us, and with his love flowing from between the couple but out into the congregation. Magnificent. Brothers and sisters, there's the kingdom of God right there, and you cannot do it in individualism. It absolutely cannot work. It took the body of Christ, there was non-Christians here as well, but it took us all together to be moving in all the different gifts, some of them with the spotlight on them, some of them not even seen as they walk around with the food plates or getting it prepared, setting up all the electronics before the wedding or whatever, but there was community right there. I just basked in it. It was a magnificent day, and I was just coming home, One of the other things Linda and I were talking about, that how many people up there had met one another and got married right here in this fellowship over a 30-year period. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So these gifts are intended to be used for the common good of the community. They're not for individual edification. They're so and they do help us individually, of course they do. But when it comes together and in a situation like that yesterday, you just marvel at it and you go, Wow. And of course that's what this morning is all about. That's why we gather together. Just to put on this meeting this morning, a whole diversity of gifts had to function and are still functioning. And that's the most amazing thing about it. The one more point I want to make, and I want to give a quick example out of Scripture and close. So the one more principle is often what is overlooked is the marketplace. These gifts are designed to be used with great effectiveness in the marketplace. Every one of us is called to help build up the Christian community. Nobody is exempt from that. But most of us will spend more time out in the marketplace than we will within the community working on building up the community. And these gifts are extremely effective and extremely powerful there. And you can start looking at your gifts, your gifts of serving, your gifts of mercy, the gifts of wisdom and word of knowledge. They need to function in the boardrooms. They need to be expressed at morning tea in your place at work where people are in turmoil. They need to be expressed at times when somebody just needs a hug or where somebody needs a word of correction. Sure, you need to engage with the Holy Spirit saying, how do I best bring this? But don't leave them at home just because you're going to work. They're powerful in the workplace. You don't have to do a Jesus said or start shaking or manifesting or whatever it is, and I'm not against all those things, but through the normal, real, natural you where God has put you at any given moment of the day, these gifts can work and change lives and change communities and change workplaces and change cities, and on it all goes. So I want to bring you in closing an excellent example of the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. Now, I love the passage. I haven't got time to go through it all, so I'm going to paraphrase it to you in the hope that you will go home and read it specifically because on all the various ways of learning and gifting, you'll see different things in it than I'm able to bring you this morning. And you might want to come back and share them with me, which will be really helpful next time I preach on it. Okay, so what's happened in Acts 15, in the Council of Acts 15? 
there's been a whole lot of disagreement going on around what should happen now that all of these people have had a tremendous conversion to Christ, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're stuck with the law around the ceremonies and around food, what should be eaten, how it should be killed, the sacrificial system, and so many things like that. So they're all confused, which we can understand. And they're all arguing and debating around these things. So they call a council um, in Jerusalem and they um, go up to Jerusalem and they meet as a council of apostles. Some of them are named, some are not, but they meet as an accountable apostles. Now just remember they had no New Testament scriptures back then. They hadn't been written. Some, nothing was in place. So they had to rely on the Holy Spirit to give very clear insight. So the discussion begins. And everybody has their own opinions and their own perspectives. We've all been in plenty of meetings like that, Christian meetings, elders' meetings, leaders' meetings. We've all been there. And all of us think we're right. <clears throat> and I'm struggling to convince people that I am right. Sorry, no, that wasn't a uh, so we all think we're right. So, so after a lot of debate, we get into verse 7. And after a lot of debate, it says, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles will hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter's stating something that the Lord had clearly spoken and commissioned him to, and it had been in front of the others, so there was no argument about that. So he goes on to say, And God who knows the heart testified to all the people then, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us too. So here's a wonderful thing. Peter's saying, Look, God commissioned me and set me aside for this major role and he gave me the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. But he's saying, But he also gave the Holy Spirit to everybody else. Everybody else. Young people, older people, males, females. So it wasn't a unique thing Peter had. It says suddenly we found everybody was getting filled with the Holy Spirit. So that was a big shock to them. And it says the Holy Spirit made no distinction between us and them concerning their hearts by faith. So he goes on, he says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of all these new disciples a yoke which neither our fathers or us have been able to bear? Because Peter knew that under the old covenant law, everybody had failed over and over again. So he's saying, why are you putting this thing on them? We've never been able to achieve it. Our forefathers have never been able to achieve it. So why are you hanging this on all these new converts? But he says, but believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord and in the same way they also are. So in the midst of all the discussion, all the opinions, everything that's going on, Peter believes he suddenly gets some insight. There's the Holy Spirit working right there. There's the spiritual gifts working right there. He backs it up with the word of God. He presents it. So he brings a very clear perspective of God's salvation by grace. So then Barnabas and Paul back up and say, hey, we've discovered the same thing. Everywhere where we've gone, we've prayed for people and bang, the Holy Spirit has come down and just hit them and they've been saved and set free. So God's doing all of this stuff without rules, without regulations, without format. He's just coming and blessing. Whoever is hungering for him is getting blessed and met by the Holy Spirit. 
So then James stands up and puts all of this into a biblical concept. He lines it up with some Old Testament scriptures, and he says, you know, the Old Testament teachers of this day. Some of these scriptures reveal this day. And so he makes a recommendation. He says, look, seeing God is already blessing all these people, let's just ask them to do two or three things, and it's abstain from sexual immorality and eating things with blood and a couple other things. And he says, let's just let them go and let the Holy Spirit do whatever he is doing with our guidance and help as much as we can. So there's a big discussion. There's a lot of disagreement. Then somebody stands up, in this case, Peter, and somebody, Paul and Barnabas, stands up and endorse the words, say, yeah, we feel the same thing. We think that's right. And then uh, as a result of that, James puts it all into a perspective, and suddenly everybody's on board. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, using different gifts through different people, has united something that was going every which way. In the midst of the whole conversation, Peter brings a word of wisdom. Paul and Barnabas demonstrate how the gifts of healing and faith have been flowing amongst these people. James brings some discernment and lines it up with what has been said, and everybody gets excited and saying, well, we've just heard from God. Now, this wonderful expression shows us how the gifts are meant to work. But for it to work, if my opinion hasn't been embraced, I have to humble myself before God and be prepared to put it down for the sake of the unity of the Holy Spirit's voice. And that's where the flesh rises up to fight. Because I believe I've heard from God. I've got my scriptures to justify it. I have got my... No, 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 no. We've heard the word of the Lord, and if I'm prepared to put this stuff down, my spirit will speak to me and say, that was, this is the will of God. So humility has to function all the way through this. See, this is what we're looking for in our meetings. One of the reasons why I come here on a Sunday morning, and there are many, is I want to see the diversity of people and gifts that are here. And I want to immerse myself in the middle of it because this is a far greater perspective of Jesus than I can get on my own and find anywhere else. I just can't get it anywhere else. So this is what we're meant to bring to our marriages. The whole issue in marriage and for all the years of marriage counsel I've done, when you walk in the door, people hope you're going to get a, give a ruling of who's right and who's wrong. And, of course, the husband knows it was his wife was wrong all the time. Now you're finally going to say, and, of course, the wife knows that the husband's just been so stubborn and obstinate and he wouldn't have a clue. So you come in and it's, oh, wow, right. My husband or my wife is really going to have a bad night tonight. I'm going to try and be humble, but this is going to be a bad night for him or for her. But, you see, the problem, if you call me, I have learned... Firstly, through my marriage, let's not go there. I have learned in the understanding, my understanding of Scripture, that Jesus almost never gave a ruling in a dispute. 
So here's the issue, husbands and wives, just to pick on you for a while. It's not about right or wrong. It's about what is Jesus saying here? That takes humility. Now, somebody may be proved right or wrong, but in most cases, both of us had a little bit of an attitude check that we've got to clean up. And do you know what? Suddenly everything's fine. How come we didn't see that before? Because we, I, were too busy fighting for our rights rather than expressing a passion for what is Jesus saying here. So my wife might just be right. (laughs) Anyway, do with that what you will. See, this is what we need in Parliament. Imagine in Parliament if a member of the opposition jumped up and said, what the opposition have just said is wise and it's based up with a lot of good facts and it's going to help this country, so I'm voting for it. It gets my support. Now, they'd probably be kicked out of the opposition party, but surely for the benefit of the country, it not every, in opposition, not everyone on one side is right and everyone on the other side is wrong, and no one even debating against it thinks that. We'd change the whole of New Zealand if they listened for wisdom, listened for truth, and threw their weight behind it. Wow, what a parliament that would be. This is what we need in the boardrooms. This is what we need here, and this is what we need when we leave here and go out into the real world. So we need a lot more of it. We've had a good dose of it this morning. We've had some worship. We've had some prophetic words. We've had some teaching. We've had a good dose of it, but we need more of it. And I know it's the intention of the elders that they're going to be helping all of us a whole lot more to stay on this journey. I hope you're excited about it. I hope you stay on the journey with us, but I hope you're also seeking God for it in your own life as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the unity and diversity. We thank you that you've made us all different. Lord, I think part of me would want everyone to be like me, but you are saying, thank goodness, that is not the case. So, Father, help us understand that it is not till two or three are gathered together that we can possibly start to become complete in you. Help us to appreciate the differences in one another. In fact, to applaud them and encourage them. Help us as a body of Christ gathered here today to take this and give it such freedom of expression that life will just flow out of everything we do, not only on a Sunday morning, and to every aspect of a life, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.